As legend would have it, around 8,000 years ago, somewhere in Mesopotamia, a traveler carrying milk in a pouch discovered that the milk had separated into soft white solids and a yellow liquid. He tasted the curds and thus discovered cheese. These days, there are over 2,000 varieties of cheese, ranging in taste, texture, color, and smell and size. And joining us now on today's Please Explain is chemist Michael Tunick, who has spent almost three decades developing dairy products with the USDA's Agricultural Research Service. His book, The Science of Cheese, is published by Oxford University Press, and I'm very pleased to welcome Michael Tunick to our show. Hello. Yes. Hi. Thank you for having me on. And we invite our listeners to join the conversation. Our number here is 212-433-9692. If you have a question about the science of cheese, uh, if you're interested in making cheese at home, you can give us a call or you can write to us on our show page at wnyc.org slash Lopate or on Facebook or Twitter where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Uh, you write that the story about the traveler in Mesopotamia is one of the most told stories in the creation of cheese. Um, is it likely to have really happened? Probably not. Uh, probably it was just uh, found by accident uh, with milk sitting in a pouch somewhere, not necessarily a traveler, or maybe by the fireside when uh, they had milk warming up or, and acidifying and breaking into the curds in a way that way. But uh, it's a nice story, though. And it might, you know, it probably has happened at one point or another. Have archaeologists found evidence of ancient cheese making? Yeah, they have found in uh, various parts of the world uh, some cheeses and dairy products sticking to uh, various uh, jugs and uh, jars and uh, things like that. So they know that it has been around for uh, quite a few millennia at this point. And perhaps uh, discovered in different parts of the world the same way that alcoholic beverages were discovered yeah. uh, separately? Yeah, sure. Any- yeah, any place where um, people would be consuming milk, uh, you know, cheese would follow at some point. How does milk become cheese? Is the it, fermentation process similar to yeah. wine and beer? Yeah, it's, uh, that's right. It's uh, similar in that uh, you have microorganisms uh, working for you, and it starts to uh, break down the lactose, which is the sugar in milk, and it forms lactic acid, which starts the pH, the acidity, um, going and uh, when that happens, you're going to also have to have another enzyme in there which will break apart the casein, the primary protein in milk, and that will cause the uh, curd to form as the protein falls apart and settles to the bottom. But it's the uh, bacteria that are in there, either that you put it in or naturally occurring, that uh, start the whole process. How is the process different from the one that gives us yogurt? Uh, yogurt is heated up a lot. Um, so that way the protein gets denatured, so all the protein uh, completely disentangles and falls apart. So that is, that's a whole uh, different thing. You get heated uh, milk up to 185 degrees Fahrenheit, and uh, cheese you don't get nearly that high, like 130. And you say that the most important factors in cheese making are moisture, the ratio of protein to fat, and the minerals in the milk. Yeah, because especially the calcium, um, because that whole helps to hold together the uh, curd and um, and so forth. So, yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot of different factors you might imagine, you know, amounts of protein and uh, fat and moisture and uh, lactose and the various uh, ratios between them. So cow's milk is particularly good for making cheese? Isn't buffalo milk also? Oh, yeah. Yak uh, milk? Any, yep. Um, 
There is a uh, Buffalo Research Center in Nanning, China that I visited a couple years ago, and they're making cheese out of that. But uh, it's been made in Italy for a long time. Mozzarella. Uh, yeah, the genuine mozzarella is made from water buffalo milk in Italy. But there's water buffalo uh, in other parts of the world, too, and there's a few herds in the United States, and they're making buffalo milk mozzarella here now, too. But you can also make it from goat milk or sheep milk or reindeer milk or uh, a couple of other species, which uh, got to be pretty interesting. And are they all ideal for making cheese? Are some better than others? Well, it depends on the volume. I mean, uh, like with sheep's milk, you don't get a whole lot of milk out, so therefore it's going to be expensive and time-consuming to get enough milk to make a lot of cheese. Uh, with cows, uh, particularly Holsteins, you get a lot of milk, and uh, it's a bit more economical to do. Uh, with uh, one animal that can give you cheese is uh, the moose, but it takes two hours to milk a moose. And so... Uh, that that cheese goes for $1,000 a kilogram. Does the animal's diet affect the flavor of the cheese, whether they're eating yeah, grass, hay, or some other mm -hmm. feed? That's right. Um, if the cow is out on pasture uh, and it eats, it eats anything it wants, so if there's flowers out there and they want to eat those, and so you get kind of floral compounds in the milk, then again, if there's like onion grass out there, that's going to carry over, and uh, the cheese is going to taste kind of oniony. Because remember, um, the amount of uh, milk uh, that you use, uh, maybe like 10 gallons, um, will get you what, that only about 10% uh, of that is going to wind up in the cheese. So you're concentrating those compounds by a factor of 10. So if whatever the cow eats is going to get magnified in the cheese where you might not taste it in the milk. But the difference between hay and some of those others isn't really that great. So for larger operations, they like to do that to keep everything consistent and all year round. Yeah, well, there's a, a cheese shop here in New York where the, they have four different rounds of Parmigiano Reggiano, and mm -hmm. they come from the four different seasons, and uh, you'll be given a little chance to taste each of them and choose which one you like the best. And they are different because the yep. cows are, are eating different things at different times of the year. That's right. Um, seasonality has um, a lot to do with it. And also cows uh, produce more fat in their milk during the colder months and during the warmer months. So that's an effect. If they don't uh, do anything to adjust the fat content, you're going to get uh, slightly fattier cheese in the winter. But also, again, depending on what the cows eat in the summertime, you can ha in Europe they have the cows up in the mountains, high, high altitude, and then toward the winter they would go move them down to low altitude. And, of course, you have different grasses at the different altitudes, so that's going to produce different flavors in the cheese. A few years ago, didn't Chef Daniel Angerer reportedly begin serving his customers cheese made from his wife's breast milk at his Manhattan restaurant? Clay well, Brasserie. Uh, yeah. a, a reviewer described the texture as off-putting, strangely soft, bouncy, like panna cotta. I don't know. Uh, can you? Is it easy to make cheese from human breast milk? Oh, no, you can't. Um, the problem is that it's not going to coagulate properly. So what he probably did was mix in some of his wife's uh, breast milk with uh, regular cow's milk. So you can mix in some of it, but you can't make uh, a cheese out of entirely of uh, breast milk because it's, it's really not going to coagulate very well. Why is no, it? That, no, I have not tried that, doing that, though. Why is it that people who are lactose intolerant can still eat cheese? 
because those microorganisms will digest the lactose, and so and with an aged cheese especially, there's not going to be any lactose left. So if you're lactose intolerant, uh, you can go for an aged cheese and you shouldn't have a problem. If you're allergic to uh, milk protein, that's a different story. But more, many more people are lactose intolerant, uh, and so they have ed- aged cheese and uh, they ought to be okay. So, but people with milk allergies still can't eat cheeses. Uh, is it we're talking about all cheeses or just aged cheeses that are that would okay? Probably, probably be all cheeses. Um, that's just because of uh, some people are allergic to one particular kind of casein, and some people are allergic to a particular kind of protein in the whey. And uh, neither one of those are going to go away, no matter how old the cheese is. So, those people uh, unfortunately can't eat cheese. I've read that lactose intolerance affects roughly 65% of the world's population. But mm-hmm. doesn't eating cheese actually help overcome lactose intolerance? Well, uh, I don't know if it's going to overcome it. Um, the thing with lactose intolerance, first of all, is that it's uh, genetic. Um, there has been a, some mutations so that people in Northern Europe can uh, consume milk with the lactose in it. There are some populations in Africa can do it, uh, a couple of other places around the world. But, and those, those uh, genetic mutations are favorable so that uh, more and more people uh, you know, who uh, mated with those people who uh, had the um, mutation can then drink milk. And so eventually it's spread around to about a third of the world. But um, just because you're uh, drinking milk and eating cheese doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to build it up, uh, the um, ability to uh, digest the lactose. My guest is Michael Tunick, who has written The Science of Cheese. It is published by Oxford University Press. And we will take a little break, and when we come back, talk more about Uh, various aspects of this, find out whether some cheeses are actually made out of dairy products, some of the, or what what makes Kraft American Cheese Singles or Velveeta? Uh, Can we call a vegan cheese a cheese if it doesn't use a dairy product? You can give us a call at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at WNYC.org or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. And we're back with Michael Tunick, a research chemist with the Dairy and Functional Food Research Unit of the U.S. Department of Agricultural Research Service. He's written a book called The Science of Cheese. It's published by Oxford University Press. And we invite your calls at 212-433-9692, or you can write to us on our show page at wnyc.org slash lopate, or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. We talked about lactose intolerance, but what about uh, the saturated fat in cheese? It provides nutrition with vitamins, minerals, and protein, but uh, is the saturated fat a problem? It doesn't seem to be. Now the nutritionists seem to be swinging the other way on uh, saturated fat in foods that appears that uh, it's at least neutral, uh, that it doesn't uh, seem to hurt people like they thought it might, um, and it had been that, you know, growing up we were supposed to be uh, eating polyunsaturated fats and cutting down the fat content and things like that, but it appears now that uh, maybe that uh, saturated fat isn't so bad. And what about raw milk cheeses? Uh, there's yeah. been controversy about them over the years. 
the Centers for Disease Control and the U.S. Food and Drug Administration recommend that children under five, pregnant women, and people with immunodeficiency problems or chronic diseases not consume raw milk products, especially yeah. cheeses. Yeah, well, the good news about raw milk and raw milk cheese is that since they have a whole uh, slew of microorganisms that you don't ordinarily find, they're going to produce... Uh, a lot of different flavors that you don't get in the pasteurized products, so that's why people seek them out. The bad news is that uh, if you don't have sanitary conditions, you can also have pathogens growing in there, and that is what the Centers for Disease Control are worried about. So you have uh, raw milk cheese uh, producing um, some food outbreaks of foodborne illness every so often, but usually those are the ones that are made you know, at home in a bathtub or something and then sold out from the back of a car or door to door. So those are the ones you would have to worry about. But as far as uh, raw milk and uh, raw milk cheese goes, if, if they're using the sanitary uh, conditions, and then it should be okay. What about when it's made on a large scale? Don't they add all sorts of additives? Uh, I mean, a large scale raw milk cheese? No, no. I'm just talking uh, about uh, oh, the, the you know, regular. regular cheeses. When you go to the supermarket, uh, you find uh, all sorts of packaged cheeses uh, that often say they have salt and then they have some other things in them that uh, just sound to me like playing with chemistry. Well, it. Uh, regular uh, you know, cheese uh, would have just, you know milk and salt and rennet and enzyme and uh, starter culture, and that should be it. There's um, there's some cheeses like cheddar where you're allowed to add a coloring, a natto, and that's about it. That um, all that you're allowed to have and still be able to call it cheese. Uh, there are standards of identity that the Food and Drug Administration has put out, which sp- specify what else can be added, but in many cases you can't add anything else. So Kraft American Cheese uh, Singles are just pure cheese? Velveeta is just pure cheese? Now there's the exception is when you have these pasteurized processed uh, cheeses, because with those they take uh, newer cheese like cheddar and older cheese that hasn't sold, and they mix it together, grind it up, and then, then they can add an emulsifier and stabilizers and other things to it. And there are specifications by the FDA on those. And it isn't what you would call natural cheese because the way they have to mix it up and add the things, but uh, it can still be labeled as cheese and to a certain point. Then once you're beyond that point with things like Velveeta, then it would have to be called something like cheese food or cheese product, uh, that kind of thing. Now, you mentioned that Inato's added to some cheddars to give it more color. Yeah. A lot of people assume that if a cheese has a deeper color, that it has a deeper flavor. That's right. Um, that's why they add it, because some people associate the uh, darker color with uh, more flavor. But it's not true? And that's not true, though. Um, the problem is annatto does not add any flavor at all. And so it turns out that people's uh, perception of food and flavor uh, has uh, some tie-in with uh, the physical appearance. So if people are used to the idea that a uh, darker-colored cheddar is richer in flavor, they're going to imagine that it is richer in flavor. And if you give it to them blindfolded, they won't be able to tell the difference between a dark cheddar and an uncolored cheddar. I want to get to the calls in just a moment. But okay. 
uh, in 2012, FDA agents investigated Castle Cheese Factory in Pennsylvania and found that the company was doctoring its 100% real Parmesan with substitutes and fillers like wood pulp and uh, distributing it to some of the country's biggest grocery chains. How can we be sure that we're buying real cheese? That's where you get the inspectors from, and I talked with a couple of them just last week um, where the uh the uh, person who owned the factory just got sentenced a couple weeks ago and got um, probation and a fine. But uh, what happens is that you have inspectors going through these uh, cheese plants every year or two to make sure that everything is on the up and up, not just with uh, possible adulteration, but just with the sanitation. And those people happen to get caught. And as it turns out, uh, the report said that uh, you know, it contained a lot of these other different kinds of cheese in there, but they're 100% Parmesan, contain no Parmesan. Now, and the reason they're angry is not just because it's mislabeled, but because that's going to give people the wrong idea of what Parmesan's supposed to taste like. Can we even call something that's made out of, n- not in Italy, Parmesan? Can we call uh, something that's made in the United States a brie or a cheddar? Yeah, there are these protected designations of origin um, that are tied to uh, particular cheeses that are made in particular places in a particular way. You know, those are all from Europe. So over there, the Parmigiana Reggiano, you know, over here we can make it the same way, but we call it Parmesan. And there is maybe something brewing about uh, whether or not we're going to be legally allowed to call it that in uh, in a few years. But uh, for now, we can call it that. But in other cases, like Roquefort cheese, if it's not made in Roquefort, France, then uh, you have to call it blue cheese or something else. Let's take some calls. George from New Jersey. Hi, you're on the air. Hi. Very interesting uh, conversation. Thank you for scheduling it. Um, Quick question. Why can people that are lactose intolerant eat sheep cheese and goat cheese? Uh, if it doesn't have much lactose in there, then they can eat it. So it would be the same as cow's cheese. Now, it could be that the lactose intolerance is a misdiagnosis, that perhaps they're allergic to the particular kind of casein that's found in uh, cow's milk and that it isn't the lactose at all. But it's also possible that uh, the cheeses that they, the cow's milk cheeses they've been eating um, aren't aged enough and still have lactose in there. Mike from New Hyde Park, you're on the air. Yep. Yeah, hi. Um, I just wanted to ask a question um, about commercial pizza cheese, uh, mainly mozzarella cheese. Um, yeah. A lot of the manufacturers uh, advertise particular qualities, whether it's like a good mouthfeel or, you know, excellent reheat qualities, good stretchability. Mm-hmm. What's involved in sort of designing those characteristics into a cheese? Uh, that is all involved with how it's made. Uh, mozzarella and provolone are the uh, two common cheeses known as pasta filata cheeses, which means spun paste, and those are not pressed, they're stretched. And it used to be by hand, now they have mechanical stretching machines, and by stretching them like that, then you're also you're lining up the fibers and you're also lining up the fat, and so those uh, will do some uh, quite a bit of melting. So that is the characteristic that they're going for, especially with the mozzarella, because it's used on pizza. So um, also the shreddability has to do with the moisture content. If there's too much moisture in there, then the shreds are going to stick together. And so that's the kind of thing that they go for, depending on what uh, the final use is. So with string cheese, um, the shreddability doesn't uh, enter into it that much, but with uh, pizza cheese it does. Thank you for your call. Claire from Westchester, you're on the air. Hi. 
this is Claire, and I'm wondering about rennet. Why use rennet, and what what are the various rennets and rennet-free cheese? Yes, well, rennet traditionally came from the stomach of a calf or a sheep. Uh, those are the, the rennet is a collection of enzymes, mostly chymosin, that the animal uses to digest its mother's milk. Uh, but by the 1960s, cheesemakers began to realize that there isn't going to be enough rennet uh, from calf stomach in the entire world to handle the uh, cheese production. So they started looking at other sources. So nowadays they use uh, microbial rennets, which are... Uh, the same kinds of enzymes that are produced by um, Rhizomucorm yehi and a couple of other uh, fungi out there. Uh, you can also uh, have vegetable rennets, uh, the cardoon thistle, which uh, is grown um, all over but is noted in Portugal, can also produce an enzyme that imitates rennet. So that's a, a vegetable rennet. Um, and then there's the non-rennetted cheeses. That would be a fresh cheese, like uh, cream cheese, where instead of using the rennet and the uh, enzymes um, that uh, come from the microorganisms, they just add acid to it. And once the pH drops below a certain level, then uh, all the uh, casein comes out at the bottom. And there's your curd. So that's a non-rennet cheese. How does uh, aging affect the flavor and texture of cheese? Uh, are all cheeses aged, I mean, all the serious cheeses aged in, in caves or coughs? Yeah, they, uh, the aging affects uh, the breakdown of the protein and the fat. And the breakdown of the protein is going to add to uh, these basic tastes because the amino acids that make up the proteins are going to be released, and they're associated with the bitter and the sour and so forth. But um, also the breakdown of the fat has a lot to do with the flavor. As time goes on, the enzymes released by the microorganisms break down the fat, and you've got all kinds of different flavor compounds coming out. Um, so the aging affects it quite a bit. Uh, they generally refer to uh, the uh, places where the cheeses are ripened as aging rooms or caves. and. A lot of times they're not really caves of any, in any kind. They're just, you know, another part of a building. But um, anyway, they're always they're aged on shelves in a place with constant uh, temperature and humidity, depending on what kind of uh, cheese you're going for. You call Roquefort, Gorgonzola, and Stilton the big three of interior mold cheeses. How are they made? Well, those are the ones that have blue or blue-green mold. Um, and those, they have a... Uh, mold powder which is added to the uh, either the milk or to the curd and so the mold um, as the cheese ages uh, starts um, working on the fat and the protein they also uh, cheese uh, people who are in charge of aging it uh, the affineurs they go and skewer the cheeses with needles to introduce oxygen so keep the mold growing so those are how, um, that's how those are aged. And you will see uh, blue cheeses sometimes with like a straight line of this uh, blue in there. And that's where the uh, needle went through. So those are different than uh, regular cheeses in that they have the mold on the inside. And that's good mold. Uh, but yes. when we see mold on the outside of a hard cheese, can we just cut it off or is it okay yes. to eat those cheeses, th those molds? It's okay to, if it's a hard cheese, it's okay to eat it by just cutting it off. That's just usually just penicillin mold that's uh, from the refrigerator or whatever, and that's going to grow on the outside. So you can cut that off and eat the rest of the cheese. 
That's something a lot of people are find themselves concerned about. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm, some people just throw the cheese away. They probably shouldn't. Kelly from Westport, Connecticut. Hi, you're on the air. Hi there, Leonard. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I was curious as to what the sharpness of a cheese indicates. Is that because of the aging, the ripening yes. that we were talking about earlier? Mm-hmm. That uh, the, sh- the uh, more it ages, the sharper it's going to get because the more uh, flavor is going to be coming out. Uh, generally, it's associated with the uh, fatty acids, in particular the shorter fatty acids. So butyric acid, which comes from the word for butter, uh, caproic, caprylic, and capric, which come from the word for goat. All those are shorter fatty acids, and those are the ones that are more pungent. The real longer-chain fatty acids um, that we uh, commonly you know, uh, associate with saturated fat don't have much of a flavor. It's those shorter ones that do, and so those are the ones that uh, contribute to the sharpness. What are some simple cheeses we could make at home? Mozzarella is actually pretty easy to make. If you can get hold of rennet, um, there's like rennet tablets that might be in a, a big supermarket where you can order them. For the starter culture, you can just use a, a spoonful of yogurt with uh, live and active cultures. And then it's uh, just a question of um, just heating the milk and mixing it up, and uh, you're going to start to uh, get cheese in a little while, and then you can get to hold of the uh, curd and press it through cheesecloth, and um, you're going to wind up with uh, nice, fresh mozzarella that way. You can make ricotta at home as well. Yeah. Now, ricotta is, ma- uh, is generally made from the whey that's left over from mozzarella, so they can take that whey, and uh, you can heat that up, and uh, you can coagulate the uh, whey proteins that way. Ricotta is, uh, is Italian for recooked. So it basically you take that uh, whey and it gets recooked, and then you have uh, a whey cheese that way. We don't have enough time to go into any more. There's so much more to talk mm. about here. But thank you so much, yep. Michael H. Tunick. His book, The Science of Cheese, it is published by Oxford University Press. It's been a great pleasure talking with you, and thank you all who've called in. I'm sorry that I couldn't get more calls on.